<clears throat> so uh, some of you have a lot of difficulty with my style, my expression. And uh, that is according to temperament and according to your selectivity and character and all that. <clears throat> but you can throw out the substance. You can throw out the style, but don't throw out the substance. <laughs> because I'm, I'm pointing to something. And it's like uh, throwing out a plant because you don't like the pot that it's in. And my suggestion is that to see if you can listen through the style of the presentation to hear what is being said because it, there's a pointing to it. I'm not saying anything that I don't know and I'm not saying that anything that I don't know is true. So if you can listen beyond what your reactions are, it's helpful. Now I want to tonight just give you a few minutes of, of a I'm going to give you a map, a spiritual map, which I probably should have done uh, on day one. Uh, and that spiritual map uh, really determines the whole course of our journey. And that spiritual map has to do, uh, in the Buddhist context, with a view, a direction for us, and an intentionality and governance with that direction and strategies that work in alignment with the direction that we seek. Uh, and the direction that I think is at the heart of, of any spiritual journey that is worthwhile, my teacher Ajahn Buddhadasa used to say, uh, any spiritual uh, tradition that has a nata is a good one. Anything that doesn't is a waste of time. And so I was steeped very much in that focus and direction while I was a monk in Thailand. And so uh, when I was leaving, he said, uh, teach anatta and don't be afraid to shake people. So I took that literally. <laughs> and uh, because this whole of the spiritual journey only makes sense uh, from the absence of an e the egoic absence, with when we begin to understand how the ego co-ops virtually everything we do, including our spiritual uh, tradition, and that we can only come to a, a different realization once we have seen that the entrapment, the ideas which we are contained in within our spiritual journey and within ourselves blind us to the real journey that's available. But to understand that, we have to, let's go into the mind a moment, because here I'm in complete agreement with science. And that is that a scientist can stimulate different aspects of your brain to uh, reveal memory, emotion, etc. But it can't stimulate an aspect of your brain that manifests awareness. Now, if the brain contains awareness, it would be able to do that. But it doesn't. In fact, what happens is that you begin to see in the spiritual journey that the awareness, awareness 
holds the mind, but is not dependent upon the mind, is not governed by the mind. And therefore, it is not a product of the mind. So the unleashing of awareness is really what the spiritual journey is about. And what we try to do that, we try to do that from the sense of me. We try to organize our spiritual journey as we've organized our life or our work uh, and our relationships and every other aspect. We try to be in control of it. We try to place ourselves forefront in the manipulation and manifestation of our journey. And as we do that, the eye grows bigger because it's now the predominant controller of the events, and the A of awareness grows smaller, inversely proportional to one another is this sense of I when it's predominant in the small a that will be uh, very um, uh, cut off from its source as the I grows bigger. Now, let's, so let's look what's happening in the mind when that occurs. The sense of I, the sense of I in oneself, the images around I, the memory of who you are and who you have been, the ideas of who we will be in the future, are memory, really, recognition, memory. So it's an aspect of mind. The sense of I is really an aspect of mind. It's a thought, an emotion, and they're tied together in some kind of three-dimensional sense that we're, going move, we're moving forward. But look as you will within the mind, you won't find an entity called I. You'll find these different patterning and processes that are associated, when associated with one another, claim the reference of self. So essentially, the I is from the mind. It's a mental involvement. It's a mental product. Now, this is very important because if we think the I is outside of the mind, then we will manipulate the mind to suit the eye's preference because it's a, something that we can do. It's outside of us. It's a manipulative organ, organ. And so that's what most of us, how we engage in our spiritual journey is through a kind of manipulation of the mind. We try to make it more this and less of that. We try to force it this way and move it that way. And much of our culture is based upon the idea that there is a sense of eye outside the mind and therefore can influence the mind to its advantage. And it's uh, much of the disarray of the world is because of that. But if the I is a part of the mind, then the mind cannot influence itself. It can try. One part of the mind can try to influence the other hemisphere and that will just cause resistance. It'll cause the two hemispheres to be in combative relationship to one another. As one aspect or image or sense of the mind tries to stay in control of another quality of mind state or whatever it is that the, is occurring. And that inward tension is the reason that we see the world as we see it. It's the reason that we see the world in, in dualistic terms, you and me, this and that because it's fractured itself into two things. One is the holder of the power and the manipulator and controller of 
the other aspect. But if it's all one into the same thing, and we understand that the sense of I is just another aspect of mine, then there's a very different way that we can bring those two hemispheres together rather than trying to control that one hemisphere so that it can go along with our desire of what we think that hemisphere should do, which is the influencing factor of what the I tries to do in its spiritual journey. When we see it as one organ, we no longer pit the eye against anything. It's an expression of mind. It's like a, a thought or an emotion or a physical sensation. It need not be in conflict with anything. And when it's not in conflict with anything, the sense of I in resistance becomes very small. In fact, it can become absent completely. And the whole of the mind then is surrounded by this thing called awareness, permeates it. Because it was only the fracturing or the, um, the dissonance of one quality of mind trying to force itself on the other that seemed to keep that awareness at bay. It kept it manipulated. It kept it confined to that sense of struggle. But once there's no more struggle, then the whole thing opens up. And essentially, the spiritual journey is the whole of the mind. And therefore, any aspect of the mind in which we have some idea or aversion to or resistance to has to be cleared up because that is still in struggle with. And so as we begin to look at our states of mind and non, with non-judgment, with acceptance, less tension less divisiveness, less cantankerous control, and more whole, more unified vision. The perceptions change from that. The sense of what we perceive begins to sense, we begin to sense a unification that's beyond what we have known it to be within the struggles and confines of two hemispheres battling each other. It looks different. And you get a strong sense of an intimation that things are much more together than we could have ever believed before. But now we have to work this journey in accordance with that fact. We can't keep manipulating that fact with the sense of controller that's external to the mind or the whole world will look very different. It will give the ego a sense of accomplishment in its struggle. It does, likes nothing more than to set itself up as the controller of its spiritual journey. It likes that. It likes the empowerment of that. It feels that it, if it stays in control, then it doesn't have to see its own demise. And so it, the logic that it puts forward in terms of what we need to do is one of continual improvement in oneself, continual uh, adaptation, as I mentioned in the previous talk. Always a struggle. There's always more to do. There's always some sense of limitation in what it has. There's always more that it needs. And so the idea of cultivation feeds into that sense of division. It feeds into the sense of one side of the mind struggling to accomplish itself with the other. And so where is there any rest in that? Believe me, it is not at the end of a cultivation because cultivation never ends. 
There's never a final moment in which we can say, oh, finally. And that's, that's what I meant by the paradigm shift. This thing has to be complete from the start. We have to have a different way of viewing it. And so what I would invite in our spiritual journey is a holistic view. That even though we may not see it, unification is there. And though our eyes betray it, that's just because we're still struggling in ourselves. And the quieter we become, the more that unification begins to be sensed in this organ, from this one, the heart. And the whole journey requires that, really. Now, there's an aspect of this journey called intentionality that we don't give enough validity to. Intentionality is the engine that really drives the whole thing forward. What do you want from your life? What do you want from your spiritual journey? That is what's governing it right now. What do I want from this thing? Do I want to be whole? Do I really want contentment? Or am I looking for self-improvement? If self-improvement is what you want, I'm not trying to take that away from you. I'm just saying that you will drive those hemispheres ever further apart with that desire and intention. But if we want wholeness, if we want unification, then we have to have the strategies that work in cooperation with that unification. Effort looks very different when you think you're outside of the mind forcing something upon it than it does when you see that the sense of self is the part of the mind. What is there to effort towards? And awareness looks very different than that as well. Because when the mind, when the, the sense of self is in governance to his spiritual journey or hers, mindfulness and the sense of self coexist. I have to be mindful. I need to be watchful. I need to be present. That constant sense of I assures that the A is going to be very small and very easily forgotten. If you haven't noticed it in your own spiritual journey, have you ever wondered why it's so hard? Why it's such a burden? Because it's another thing you have to do. It's the wrong aspect. It's the wrong way. Now, we're going to be leaving here. And you can falter very quickly on this thing if you pick it up as a kind of tension in yourself that you need to keep this thing going forward. The way to bring the hemispheres back together, to bring this whole forward, is to release the resistance we have with any experience whatsoever. So there's no fighting, bickering between the camps, the mental camps within us. Just this. You see, this, this isn't some kind of weird esoteric strategy so that we'll be a... It's just how you bring the hemispheres together. This is the way to do it. And so, okay, no more fighting, no more, that's it, no more resistance. I got it. And I really want this to work. So, well, okay. When an emotion comes up, that's it. It's just this. It doesn't take me back into the memory lane of where it's come from and all the tragedies that have happened 
because then I'm in struggle with even having this occur because my memory holds such an awful perception of it from the past. You see how the memory of it can work against the unification. And that's why when you look and you see that the memory, there's, a, there's something very false about the memory because it's not present. It's taking you back some other time. And so when we work this thing as a whole, what happens is that the past and future no longer can assert its, its truth because the whole of the mind doesn't contain a descriptive past or an expected future. It's just now, just now. And so as these hemispheres start working together more cooperatively, the present is not something that's between the rock of the future and the hard place of the past, but an, but an endless expression, an open, armed embrace of everything in harmony. And so what does effort look like when we work it in cooperation with the truth of what we are and what the mind is? It doesn't look like ambition. It doesn't look like striving. It doesn't look like force of will. The Buddha once said in the Dhammapada, all forms of suffering are created by effort. And many of you have had experiences that are vast and wondrous, and they have come to you not from your will, but almost from, like, from some serendipity that we have no, it's just all of a sudden there it is. You don't know how it, and then the mind catches hold and says, how can I reproduce that? And you can be assured when the mind creates that kind of tension that it won't be. How can I relax? How can I make this thing whole? How can I not resist any longer the experiences of life? And we have framed that throughout this week in very different ways. We've called it love. Why, how, where do we think love would come from if it wouldn't come from something whole, incomplete? Do you see? Do you see the beauty of the, just the parsimony, the beauty, the absolute beauty of this thing? So you have to work in cooperation with the beauty, with this awe. Oh, it's like, oh my God, this is so amazing. This is wondrous. It's a wondrous journey. And when you get the feeling for, because it has its own logic, and it's not the logic that we've been working our lives with, it's a spiritual logic. But when we're on top of that, when we're in coordination, when we're in alignment with that, it just, it feels like, oh, it's just such a, it's just wondrous. This is just wondrous. But when we make it into this uh, tension, you know, okay, now just mindfulness. Because awareness, the reason mindfulness is, has a small M and it's forgotten so easily is because the eye is so big in its need to control its own destination through mindfulness. Be aware of this, be aware of that. 
And whatever the mind remembers, it will forget. So bringing mindfulness into memory will assure that it will be forgotten. But if we back away, if we back ourselves out of this thing and let the mind become whole, then the A becomes large A, capital A, and the I becomes remote at best. Just see how it works. Get that sense of, okay, well, let me just relax, tensionless, and just watch awareness come out of you. It's, it's just amazing. We have kept it locked into the genie bottle. And we wonder, how do we make this thing work? You see, you can't make it work from our usual self-influencing ways. You see, I'm not saying this for my benefit. <laughs> if you think I'm preaching, then I don't, you know, I, this is the way I talk. <laughs> it's really because I care about you. And whether, I don't know whether you can even hear that. But it's true. Any questions? (laughs) Yes, sir. <laughs> I'm not looking for pats, but thank you. <laughs> but I, I, I'm a little confused. I understand the disallowing. Good. Good. Yes. Yes. But when I first started learning meditation 20 years ago, it was always follow the breath. Yes. Yes. Yes, so you have, it really, now, something in you have to rise up on your own. I, I really mean it. I, there, the question is, uh, <laughs> I'm, having, I'm having a senior moment. Pardon? About following the breath. About breath, but the, the, Reconciling that with the following the breath with the Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, so um, there, there's a, um, a courageousness. I, 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 have to, I have to back that question up with a, comp- with a more complete answer, okay? But I'll get, to your, I'll get to the resolution. A ferocity that, by God, I'm, I'm going to know this thing by myself. I want to know this thing from the inside, not from the direction of what other people's practices are. All right, so somebody points me there, another person points me there, one says here, one says that, one says open, close, up, down, side, and you just, you just spin. And my teacher's better than your teacher, and this book, and that book, and the Buddha said, and oh, it's just, it comes at you in ways that are completely confusing and perplexing. 
right? Okay. So let's just look at what, what supports this. What's a, first of all, when I sit down for the first time, I see, my God, there's just this barrage of thought. I can't, nothing seems to be known. I can't know anything. Everything is thought about. All right. So there's no stability in me to even be able to discern what's going on. So I establish a steadying point within me by, via the breath, via the body. It doesn't matter. The point is, is that the mind be, begins to discern the difference between thinking about something and be in presence of that thing, knowing the breath firsthand and thinking about the breath. That discrimination between when a thought takes hold of your experience and when the experience is pure is refined for the rest of your spiritual life. Okay, so then you, okay, okay, so now I'm getting this, and now, you, now, now you've fulfilled whatever direction the teacher was pointing in terms of steadying the attention. Now let me look around. Some people say, no, I've got a note. I've got to say, you know, anger, anger, back to the Why? What? What is this doing for me? What is it, it's creating, is it helping you? If it's helping you, fine but helping you towards what direction, towards what intention? How is it moving us? See, I'm, I'm, interested in the, I'm interested in coming into union. And if I label something, come back to something, it feels like I'm cutting away something. I'm, it's partial. It's not complete. I'm not holding it. It's not embracing. So I'm interested in the heart. I'm in, so I think, okay, I don't know what the... I haven't practiced that, but it isn't helpful to me. So I leave that alone. So what's helpful to me? What was helpful to me is to begin to look at the, what the sense of self was and how the sense of self, now that I have a steadying point so that I can even see the sense of self arise, I can get a sense of what this, how this sense of self comes forward and how it diminishes and what are the conditions and strategies that lead to one or the other. As I say, there is a spiritual logic to all of this. And you begin to, <clears throat> so you hear, <clears throat> you hear the word allowance. Okay, well allowance, I remember asking myself, it was several years into my practice, I was a monk, I said, why shouldn't I be judgmental? Why shouldn't I be? I've been told not to be. My aware, why shouldn't it be judgmental? You see, I, was, I wasn't going to, that's what I mean by the, just the absolute ferocity. I don't care what anyone's told me. This is either going to be mine or it's going to be what they're telling me. And it cannot be what they're telling me. It has to be mine. That's, that's where the... So you say, okay, well, I notice that when I'm in a judging mode that everything I see holds and contains and sees through that judgment so that I don't really see anything but what the mind tells me I need to see through my judgment. So that doesn't work. Okay, so judgment's over. That's it. No more judgment. That's done. Gone. And what does allowance look like? Is allowance a strength? Is it something that I'm going to allow? Because what I allow, I will disallow. It's on a continuum. And is the truth on a continuum? Is there an opposite to truth? That doesn't sound right. So what is allowance? You see, these are questions where you take to the experiential answer. So, okay, so what does allowance look like? There cannot be any opposite to allowance. I don't know because anything that the mind brings forth 
is a continuum of response, a polar opposite of something. It holds its opposite within its cultivation. So I, that's it. It's all that's thrown out. Can't look at the mind. Now, where is there allowance? I want to know where there's allowance. If I can't find it in the mind, where am I going to find it? Now I'm quiet because I'm very interested in this. And so I get very quiet. And suddenly I feel an embrace that I have never known before by something. And I rise up to try to meet it and it goes away. I thought, where is the thing? I, what, I try, okay, now what did I do? I just sat like this. I did this. I stared at this. <laughs> I had just eaten, so let me eat exactly what I have just eaten. Okay, now. <laughs> and nothing. And now you're really confused because it's unreproducible. And you go, damn, I, oh, God, well. Whoa! <laughs> That's how you find it. And as soon as you step forward, it diminishes. And as soon as you rele learn to release, relax, relinquish, and rejoin, there it is, in full glory. In full glory. And you realize that what allowance means is the lack of tension within oneself. Because it's the tension, the tension cannot counterbalance itself with an allowance factor. I need, I'm judging and I need not to judge. You can't do it that way. You can't counter judgment with an intention not to, not to judge in the mind. It just, it just keeps it, you see the struggle? Because one's an, one is a resistance to the other. I'm resisting now the judgment that I had in this particular part of me is not going to, I'm, this one's not going to be resistant to, you see, it's just, it just, it communicates. The re, anything that communicates across hemispheres as two, there's no settling. There, you cannot settle that. When you realize that this can, cannot be settled, it can be evacuated, but not settled. It can be abandoned, but not settled. I can't settle it. I've tried. Believe me, I want to try. I want this thing to be settled. I've tried. And now I have to give up trying that. I don't want to because it takes me out of it. I want to be in the forefront. I want to be the accomplisher. I want to be the enlightened one. And I can't be because the sincerity of the heart looks at the creation from the sense of self and says, well, that you can go that way, but it, you're not going to be sincere if you do. And, and then you just, you wear yourself out and suddenly it implodes. And then something comes. And so the way I have suggested as a metaphor for that is to feel what the air does to you because the air is allowing you. The air is in no way putting any pressure on you. It's just, it's giving you a, fur, a full birth. You can be evil or good. You can do anything. It just embraces you the whole time. 
Now substitute that air for awareness, and now you know what allowance is. My God. See how quiet it gets. So that, see, I'm using my own language because I don't know any. Other, I don't know any other language. I just know the language that I have used. But every one of you can sense what the consummation of this might look like to yourself. The possibility. But we're up against a host of different images in ourselves that keep maintaining. I'm different. I'm, I'm, a different. I'm a different kind of person. I've been different my whole life. And we want that difference. And as soon as we start releasing the the resistance, we feel ourselves ordinary, not different. And if we want difference, then we're going to bring that image back to bear upon ourselves. You see? And so it's, we're always faced with either moving authentically, which is ordinarily, or inauthentically, towards what the image, towards what our specialness in life. Because each of us want to be special, and the image holds that specialness. But awareness doesn't. You see, so which is stronger in you? Because you'll face what's there'll be a a moment in which you'll have to decide. And we realize that uh, from the perspective of all the world's problems, they could be solved very quickly from wholeness. But when from image, they will never be solved because each of us have a different and conflicting image that will inevitably run into six billion other images. And that will never be, that, that will not be harmonious. And as we get quieter, and I just want to bring you into this direction so you, you get a sense of where this wholeness takes us. As the conflict gets lessens, I'm, I'm going to use a different metaphor now. When, the now. As we get less resistant, we come into the influence of now. We're no longer creating time through our extrapolation, through our necessity to bring memory into everything. And as we release the need to memorize our way through life, and therefore to have our own place within life, the now becomes 
infinite. And as we move to the center of now, with absolutely no resistance whatsoever to the now, that is, in essence, the unconditioned. Because, well, how could the now be conditioned? It has no conditioning. And from there, that's not the content of the moment. The content of the moment the sights and sounds and smells and tastes are being held by that which cannot be conditioned. Those, the sights, sounds, smells, and tastes can be. And there is a sense, it's a sense because it cannot be known as you could see this or that, but there is a sense of something that gives rise to all things. The Buddha called it nirvana. And it feels as if, and a metaphor that I feels a, um, close, but not, not, it's not even close, but it just gives a sense of it, is like it's a, it's a soap bubble. And you know, a big soap bubble has all the color on the... It's like one molecule of film, and all of the color dances on that one molecule film. And inside there's this enormous vastness that holds the bubble. But we live on this thin, thin conceptual sheet around this vastness. And all of our life is just that play and dance of color and form. And we miss the vastness. And much of Buddhism is about understanding the limitation of the form so that the form isn't satisfying. So that we take our eyes off the film, off that one molecule film, and we begin to sense the vastness because we're no longer investing only in the film of the color. And so all of Nietzsche, Dukkha, all of that stuff has to do with the film. It has to do with the outside manifestation of the color of the bubble. And it says, well, this isn't worth paying attention to. It's like it's going to die. It's going to end. It's going to change. It's going to go. It's going to... And so then you, your eyes for a moment release the tension associated with grasping that bubble's film, and in the release of that tension, my God, the vastness. But we can walk a long time on that film, especially if we're, you know, one some identity, which is the form and expression of that thin layer, that one molecule, dance along there. We can decorate ourselves with all kinds of colors. And so much of it is just shifting our vision, shifting our perception.
Now, if you're listening, not to the expression of what I'm saying, but to the substance, you know what I'm saying is true. You know that. Because you can feel it in yourself. If you get caught in the expression, oh, he's just being a Baptist. If you get caught in all that, you're not going to hear anything. You can't believe the notes, the unkind notes I get from people who are learning to be kind. unshatterable stillness. So if the word authenticity means something for you, you see, you can make a whole spiritual journey from that word. I love words that resonate with you very deeply because then you have an investigative, you have a, 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 a view, authenticity, you have an intentionality as to wanting to be authentic, and then you bring strategies towards that direction. So you are finding, okay, so you're sitting there and you find yourself in a squabbling mood where you're just being opinionated and you're going, wow, this isn't really authentic. This is just me defending myself and I don't even know, you know, it's like just playing ping pong back and forth, really. So that's not authentic. So I don't know what authenticity is, but that's what I'm doing right now isn't. So you always see the faults as the faults, you see? That's it. Okay, that's, that's not it. I don't know where to go. I don't know where to move. Everywhere I move, every time I try to do something, it feels inauthentic. It feels through desire and fear, through conditioned response. I don't know what it looks like to be unconditioned, but that's not it. I can't move. Now it's really deep. You see, it's like, okay, so I don't know. But I'm not going to keep living inauthentically. I'm finished with that. I can't keep living that way. And so you get very quiet again, don't you? So we go, okay. And then you move. 
And it's wondrous because no longer is it fractured movement. And we realize the way we've been working this system called meditation is always one step, reflective step back from authenticity. It's always knowing what I'm about to do. And that isn't authenticity. Authenticity is the arising, us out of the moment, in union with the moment, not as backing off, reflecting upon the moment and deciding what is the right course of action, which is most of the training, but the spontaneous eruption from the moment. And I can't think my way into that. And so suddenly the, the mention, the possibility, the potentiality, and the joy, the creative response, and the joy that accompanies the living within creativity, not having a creative moment. You think, oh, authenticity. And then the mind comes back in to calculate its next step, and you go, uh, inauthentic. I see you, Mara. I see you. I see you, Mara. And you just never claim that you have shattered this thing called Mara. You never, because t- then, you, oh my God, is that ugly? <laughs> hmm? It's always humility, because as soon as the self claims reference, dead dead in the water. The the A gets small, the I gets big, but I have all these students now who come looking for what? I don't know. Not very many come looking for authenticity. Not very many. Enough for tonight. Thank you all. Can we sit for a minute or two? Never give away your own authenticity by assuming that it's in someone else and not in yourself. Never. Never lean into somebody else and away from yourself. Never.
Enjoy yourself. Nothing that I have said tonight is all is in conflict with enjoy yourself. Nothing. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.